Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. This week on Southcrest Live with Dr. David Wilson, we continue our Sermon on the Mount study series. Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. But just what is meekness? Is it the wimpy, milquetoast submission that society paints it as? Or is it something deeper, more powerful? Let's find out together. Turn your Bible to Matthew 5.5 as we hear, Meekness is not weakness. From Pastor David Wilson. Matthew chapter 5. The Sermon on the Mount, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount are what is commonly called the Beatitudes. We've looked at the first two. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall inherit the kingdom of heaven, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And then the third one today, Matthew 5, 5. Blessed are the meek, or blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. How many of you know who Chuck Norris is? Okay, now this didn't go over very well in the 8 o'clock crowd. <laughs> Chuck Norris has gotten bigger than life. At least he was. You know, he, he did a lot of uh, martial arts movies, and I don't think he ever lost except to Bruce Lee in the very first one that he was in, and Bruce Lee was already famous and asked Chuck Norris to come in. Chuck Norris had already won the Karate World Championship twice, and, and he asked Bruce Lee, you want me to come in so you can kill the karate champion? And Bruce Lee said, well, not right at once, but yeah, you'll die in this movie. But I think he kind of put him on the map. Well, then later he did some other different kinds of movies. And, you know, he's always the guy that never loses. And then, of course, Walker, Texas Ranger, made him even more famous. And, and so there are a lot of Chuck Norris jokes that go around. And I want you to know I've kind of got a warped sense of humor anyway, but I got to reading these things and laughing out loud. I picked just a couple of them for you. Chuck Norris can lift up a chair with one hand while he's sitting on it. <laughs> Chuck Norris has a grizzly bear carpet in his room. The bear isn't dead. It's just afraid to move. <laughs> Chuck Norris counted to infinity twice. While learning CPR, Chuck Norris actually brought the practice dummy to life. Before going to bed, the boogeyman always checks his closet for Chuck Norris. When Chuck Norris enters a room, he doesn't turn the lights on. He turns the dark off. And this is my favorite one. They once had a showing of Walker, Texas Ranger in 3D. There were no survivors. Now I want to tell you a true story about him. Chuck Norris is also an outspoken Christian. Now, he hasn't always had a good life. He's had some mistakes down in his past, but now he knows Jesus, and he's very outspoken about it. But many years ago, when he was still uh, making shows for Walker, Texas Ranger, uh, he had had a long day of acting, 
in a Texas town and had gone into a local cafe to eat dinner. And while he was sitting in the restaurant, a man came up to him and said, you are sitting in my booth. Well, Norris didn't like the man's tone, but he just got up quietly and moved to another booth. A few minutes later, the man came back to him and said, you're Chuck Norris, aren't you? And Chuck said, yes. And the man said, you could have just kicked me around just now, but you didn't. And Norris proceeded to talk to the man and made a friend of him. And, and Chuck Norris, that little illustration points out what meekness is. If there was ever a beatitude that's misunderstood, it's this one. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, I want you to know these beatitudes build upon one another. They're not pick and choose one of them. You see, you begin by being poor in spirit. You come to God to be saved. You are bankrupt, spiritually bankrupt. You have nothing to offer God. You're not partially on the way to salvation and then God does the rest of it. No, God did all of it. You were bankrupt spiritually. And as a result of that, mourn, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. When we realize what we have done, it brings grief to us. And Jesus comes alongside us and comforts us, telling us you've been forgiven, you've been saved, you've been put right with God. But now the focus turns toward God. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. What does this mean? It's interesting. This had to have been, uh, 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 when everybody on that mountain, when Jesus was preaching this, that was Jewish, probably went, what? Because in their mindset, for them to inherit the land that they had, or to, I guess, correctly put it, accurately put it, to get back the land that was theirs, that God had given them, that the Romans had taken, they hoped for a Messiah who would come in like Superman, like Chuck Norris. And going to overthrow the Romans and chase them all the way back to Italy. But Jesus didn't come in that way. In fact, Jesus didn't burst on the scene with that kind of agenda. He said, blessed are the meek. So what does that mean? Let's talk about it. First, let's spend some time explaining it. Let's talk about the explanation of meekness. Now, the word meek is from the Greek word praos, which basically means mild or soft. In fact, if you look up the word meek in the thesaurus, listen to some of the synonyms of meek. Humble, docile, mild, calm, gentle, peaceful, tame, submissive, soft, spineless, passive, broken. And then you check some of the other sources and look at, listen to these phrases that they used to illustrate meekness, to eat dirt, to lick the dust, to cringe like a dog, to take it on the chin. Now, can you imagine Jesus saying, blessed are the spineless for they shall inherit the earth or blessed are those who cringe like a dog. Most people associate meekness with weakness. It's like Jesus said, blessed are the weak. When you, when you hear the word blessed are the meek. Let me ask you this. 
Those of you who've ever made a resume and you've sent it to places of businesses or where you wanted to work, did you put on there one of your characteristics was meek? Now, I'm sure that the Marines have probably changed their slogan now because there are women in the Marine Corps. But years ago, the, the Marine slogan was, we're looking for a few good men. Can you imagine them saying, we're looking for a few meek men? Or a, or a boss telling a salesman, you need to get out there and be more meek. Chances are you haven't used the word that way, have you? Because we always associate it with being weak. But this is what Jesus called us. Christ followers. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The word means power under control. See, it's power that can be harnessed for good or evil. A meek horse is not a weak horse. It's just under control. I read a funny ad for a dude ranch. And in this ad, they offer a variety of horses to ride. This is what it says. For big people, we have big horses. For little people, we have little horses. For fast people, we have fast horses. And for people who have never ridden, we have horses that have never been ridden. Can you imagine getting on a horse that's never been ridden? You wouldn't get on an unbroken colt or horse. Meekness does not mean weakness. It's power under control. And how is that power brought under control? I want to mention several characteristics of meekness, but I want you to know that only through the Holy Spirit can these characteristics be real in your life as a believer. The first characteristic is that meekness is not natural, but it's supernatural. Galatians 5, and 23, the fruit of the Spirit. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Gentleness is meekness, self-control. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit. You see, being poor in spirit causes us to turn away from ourselves in mourning, but meekness causes us to turn toward God seeking righteousness. This will lead into the next one, which is seeking righteousness. But, but meekness says, Lord, I want to be like you. I want to be the man or woman that is like you intended for it to be. Bring my natural, sinful self under control. A dad and his little boy were walking down the streets of Chicago and they passed a place where a skyscraper was being built. There were already 30 or 40 floors on this construction project. And the little boy looked up and he said, hey, dad, why are those little boys up there on the top of this? And his dad said, son, those are not boys. Those are grown men. And the boy said, well, why did they look so small? And dad says, it's because they're so high. He looked at his dad in a moment. He said, well, dad, by the time they get to heaven, there won't be anything left of them. (laughs) But you know what? There won't be anything left of us. But we'll be a new creation. We already are new in, in Christ. But the fact is the Holy Spirit living in us begins to change us 
Meekness can only come as we allow the Holy Spirit to control us. It doesn't come naturally. It's not self-control. There is some self-discipline in walking with Christ, obviously. Discipline and disciple are all the same word. But you're not going to just hope yourself into meekness. You're the Holy Spirit because naturally we're not in control. Naturally we're selfish. We are uh, rebellious. But the Holy Spirit begins to control that in our life. Meekness also means not reacting, but responding. You know, when when somebody does you wrong, how do you handle it? Do you react or do you respond? And there's a difference. Romans 12, 17 says, repay no one evil for evil. And in verse 21, it says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And listen to 2 Timothy 2, 24. This really describes the the characteristics of a leader, a pastor, or a leader in a church, an elder, and a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all. In humility, correcting those who are in opposition. Believe it or not, you're going to have people disagree with you. You think everybody in this room thinks like you do? Means you hadn't been talking to them. But how do you respond when somebody disagrees with you? Meekness is the opposite of violence and vengeance. It's not, it doesn't mean you're a coward. It's not the lack of conviction. Because conviction, you stand up courageously and you stand for conviction, especially when it comes toward God and his word. But the spirit of meekness is the spirit of Christ. And Christ always defended the glory of the Father. He ran the money changers out and so forth. He defended the glory of the Father. But, but when something happens to us personally, that's a whole different story. We're not supposed to just react. We're supposed to respond. During the Battle of Gettysburg, back in the Civil War, there was a Union soldier who hated the Confederates. He had his leg shattered by a a southern musket ball in the battlefield, and he lay there bandaged but helpless on the battlefield. But But he was right by Seminary Ridge where he could see down into Pickett's Charge, as they were called, as it was called. And he watched as that last great charge led by Robert E. Lee failed. And the South's forces under Robert E. Lee were defeated. It so happened that General Lee himself, by the way, did you know Robert E. Lee gave, uh, freed his slaves before the Civil War ever started? He wasn't fighting for slavery. He was fighting the invasion of the Union. He didn't want any part of the country invading another country. That's a whole other story. But I want you to know that if you've got a problem with, with uh, uh, Robert E. Lee, He wasn't fighting for slavery. You can look it up and read the history yourself. He was also a believer. Robert E. Lee was. But it happened that General Lee and his officers, they were retreating. They rode right past this Union soldier who had been wounded. And this Union soldier hated, he was so bitter toward the Confederates, he looked right up at Robert E. Lee and he shook his fist. He raised his hand and said, hooray for the Union. Robert E. Lee stopped his horse, dismounted, walked over to him. And the man said later that he thought his life was over. But instead, 
He said that Lee looked at him with such a sad expression on his face that it took all fear from him. And Lee took his hand and said, my son, I hope you will soon be well. The soldier later wrote, if I live a thousand years, I shall never forget the expression on General Lee's face. There he was, defeated, retiring from a field that cost him him and his cause almost their last hope. And yet he stopped to say words like that to a wounded soldier of the opposition who had taunted him as he passed by. As soon as the general had left me, I cried myself to sleep there on the bloody ground. That is an example of responding instead of reacting. Only through the power of the Holy Spirit can you do that. Because I want to tell you, your natural tendency when somebody strikes you or hurls an insult at you is to give it right back to them, only more of it. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can respond. Now, it... Meekness also means not being judgmental, but gentle. Listen to Romans 15.1. We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. See, a, a person who is meek is instead of ripping someone else apart, is gentle and understanding and leading those, especially those who are young in the faith. Those of you who have children, have you noticed that children do not act like adults? Now, I've known a lot of adults who act like children, but children do not act like adults. And when we expect them to act like adults, we get frustrated with them. We're trying to train them to become an adult, and you get little glimpses that there's hope. <laughs> but left to themselves, they don't act like adults. So why haven't you already killed them all? Because you've controlled yourself. That's why <laughs> you've been patient with them. Well, how about those who are young in the faith? We've all been saved the same way. We come to Christ. He forgives us of our sin. He changes our life. But we're not all on the same level maturity-wise simply because some have been Christians a lot longer and have matured and grown in their understanding of the Lord. Now, we're just as saved as anyone else. But some are young in the faith, and they've not learned some things that it may have taken you a while to already learn. And so what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to judge them or be gentle with them. And what about somebody who hasn't come to know Christ yet? Oh, they're in sin, deep in sin. Have you ever noticed how lost people act like lost people? And lost people are vulgar. Lost people are lost. Lost people are doomed. They're going to act lost. There are some nice lost people, but they act like they're lost. They don't know Jesus. They have nothing to control them. They're dead spiritually. Their spirit is dead. Amen. Listen to Romans 14.1. Accept those, accept those whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. Now, let me read it to you from the message, which is a paraphrase of the English translation. But that same verse, Romans 14, 1 says, welcome with open arms, fellow believers who don't see things the way you do. 
And don't jump all over them every time they do or say something you don't agree with, even when it seems that they are strong on opinions but weak in the faith department. Remember, they have their own history to deal with. Treat them gently. You don't always agree with other people, but we've got to be gentle, meek, under control if we're ever going to reach them for Christ, if they're ever going to come to mature in the Lord, which means you may need to be teachable also, but they may not have reached your standard or my standard of perfection. But you welcome them and love them, treat them with gentleness. And when somebody that you know really does blow it, mess up, you have every right or you think you do to say, I told you so. Galatians 6.1 says, brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself or you also may be tempted. Sometimes we'd just like to just blast out at somebody. But Jesus wouldn't do that. In fact, Jesus didn't do that. Another characteristic of meekness is that it's not demanding but understanding. Philippians 2, 3 says, But let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Let this mind be in you, which was in, also in Christ Jesus. And it goes on to explain what Jesus did for us. Now, most of the hearers in Jesus' day were justifying their own ways. They, they were defending their own rights. They were serving their own end. They were all about themselves. Aren't you glad that doesn't happen today? But you see, Jesus takes away them, the I and the me and the mine, and he puts plural pronouns, we and our, forgive us our sins, our Father, Give us this day our daily bread. We don't, we don't, no, we're not demanding. You see, the, the Pharisees, they wanted some kind of miraculous kingdom. The Sadducees wanted a materialistic kingdom. The, the Essenes, they were the guys that wanted to go off and have a monastic kingdom. They wanted to be by themselves. And, of course, the Zealots, they wanted a military kingdom. But Jesus said, mine is a meek kingdom. Even when I say the word meek, you're thinking, well, that sounds wimpy. Do you ever want to be first? If you said no, you slide. Are you a liar? Yeah. I mean, how many of you love to be in the longest line and the slowest moving line at the grocery store? Isn't this awesome? No, I'm afraid not. We don't do very well, do we? You see, uh, when things don't go your way, how do you behave? Are you understanding? Are you demanding? Do you take out your frustration on those around you? Not demanding. Man. It's also another thing. It's not pushy, but patient. 
Ephesians 4, 1 says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling to which you were called with all lowliness and gentleness, meekness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. Colossians 3, 12, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. Do people get on your last nerve? Do people not see things the way you see it? Do people not, you know, do you ever feel like a genius in a stupid world? (laughs) I ask you that question. I know I'm not a genius, but I do know that sometimes there are some very ignorant people in front of me. Come on. Can you not see what to do? I'm not a setting myself. I do not look at, when you look up meekness in a dictionary, David Wilson's picture is not going to be there. Occasionally it might fade in and it'll fade right back out probably. But the fact is, we're not pushy. So, it doesn't sound weak to me, does it? It doesn't mean you let people run over you. It does not mean that you have no convictions. Let's look at some examples of it. I call it the exemplification of meekness. There are a lot of examples in the Bible. Abraham. Abraham was told by God to take his family and all his possessions and head toward a land that he was going to give him. And Lot, his nephew, went. They both had so many possessions that eventually the scripture says in Genesis that the land could not support them all because they had too big, too many flocks, too many animals. So they had to, to part ways. Now, now, God gave Abraham the promise, but Abraham, instead of standing up for his rights, said, Lot... You choose which way you want to go, I'll take, the, I'll take what's left. That's an example of meekness. Moses, the scripture says in Numbers 12, verse 3, that Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. Now, this is the same guy that was, when he was raised in Egypt, one day saw an Egyptian abusing an Israelite slave, so he killed the Egyptian. Then he fled for his life. He was gone for a long time, had the burning bush experience where he met God, and then God told him to go back. He goes back in as bold as a lion and delivers the children of Israel with God's help, obviously, or God delivered them with Moses' help, and all the plagues. Pharaoh lets them go. They parts the Red Sea. Now they're out here. They've just gotten the Ten Commandments. And then Moses decides to get married. And his sister doesn't like it. Miriam. Doesn't like it because it's an interracial marriage. See, there's nothing wrong with an interracial marriage. What God is concerned about is are you both loving Jesus? Doesn't have anything to do with skin color. There might be some cultural differences you need to think about. But the fact is, interracial marriage is not sin. Where God says it's sin is when no, no longer are you both worshiping the same God, worshiping the, the one true God. We believe in God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But that wasn't the issue here. This was a, an Egyptian, dark-skinned woman. And Miriam didn't like it. Aaron got in on it. 
his brother. Now, I, I have to be amused. I would, love to, I would love to have seen their face when somehow they got the message because God came down in a cloud and said, I want Moses, Miriam, and Aaron to meet me at the tabernacle. Can you imagine getting a message from God that way? Oh, my word. And, of course, God said, Moses hadn't done anything wrong. He struck her with leprosy. You can read the account. It's a lot worse than I'm making it sound. Not one time did Moses defend himself. He trusted God. In fact, after she was struck with leprosy, Moses immediately prays for his sister. God, please heal her. And seven days later, she's healed. David, King David demonstrated meekness. We know that Saul was the first king, but later Samuel the prophet had told Jesse that one of his sons would be anointed as king. And he came in and when he saw David, he said, this is the guy. And at that point, 1 Samuel 16 verse 13 says, the spirit of the Lord came upon David, but the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. Yet Saul still king. Numerous times David had the opportunity to kill Saul. And nobody would have thought anything about it. But David didn't lay a hand on him because he trusted God. Now, David was a warrior. It wasn't like he was timid. But he didn't lay a hand on him, did he? Let's go to the New Testament. How about Jesus? Was Jesus meek? In fact, in Matthew, he said, I am meek and lowly of heart. And yet this is the same Jesus that, that, that made a scourge and chased the money changers out of the temple. You see, Jesus was defending the glory of God. He wasn't defending himself. He was defending, well, obviously he's one with the Father. But the fact is, he was more concerned about the glory of the Father. And then later on in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prays, not my will, but thy will be done. Being meek does not mean that we do not defend the glory and honor of God. But Jesus could have called down angels when they put him on the cross. In fact, he said it. My father, I, could, I bring 12 legions of angels. Every time an angel shows up in the scripture, the first words out of their mouth are don't be afraid. Now you tell me what an angel looks like. You think an angel looks like uh, a soft little cherub, wimpy? I've never been afraid of a cherub, have you? That doesn't scare me at all. Listen, Jesus could have come down. Jesus could have just fought it. But he died for you and me. That's meekness. Joseph, another good example. Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers. And you know the long story. He winds up in prison. He spends two years in prison with no word. And, and yet God takes him out of prison. He's elevated to second command in Egypt. And then finally there's a famine in Israel and his brothers many years later standing before him. They don't even recognize Joseph. What would you have done? Now. You're going to get what's coming to you. No, it's not what he did. You understand what meekness is? 
Norman Lawson wrote this. Sometime back, I had an occasion to ride with some colleagues from the airport to our place of meeting. The one who drove was tired, angry, frustrated, and in a hurry. It was quite a ride. One moment he was floorboarding it. The next moment he was slamming on the brakes. Our heads were swaying back and forth and way forward. And then he'd be honking and blasting on the horn at the car in front of us, then swerving out to go around. Our heads were swaying from side to side like a few melons in the back of an empty pickup. A couple of times he cut in on the other car he was trying to pass and shook his fist at them. He received appropriate or inappropriate, as the case may be, signs and symbolic gestures in return. It was a harrowing trip. Coming back from the meeting, another one drove. Totally different personality. This driver signaled for others to come in front of us at a place where cars were entering traffic. The pace was smooth, no sudden burst of speed, no sudden stops. In return for courtesies, he, we were given courtesies. It was the same trip in reverse, and it took the same amount of time. But it was such a different trip. It was calm and pleasant. The second driver created a different world. Control. Finally, let's look at the effects of meekness. Now, don't miss this. The word blessed, obviously, is the word makarios, which means a deep abiding joy and happiness and contentment and fulfillment that the world can't give you, the world can't take it away. It's not based on your circumstances. And the word they, again, is emphatic, indicating that the meek and only the meek shall inherit the earth. So what's, this, what's it mean? Now, the Jews thought that the coming great kingdom of the Messiah would be strong and that he would overthrow them. And the word inherit means to get something that belongs to you that's coming to you because of your relationship. There was a man sitting on the curb in New York City many years ago crying. Somebody said, what's the matter with you, sir? And he said, uh, John D. Rockefeller just died. He was the richest man in the world. And, the, and he was asked, well, why are you crying? Are you a relative of his? And he said, no, that's the problem. I'm not a relative of his. <laughs> well, I want to tell you, you are going to inherit your co-heirs, joint heirs with Jesus. And one day, we're going to inherit a new kingdom, a new heaven, and a new earth. And folks, I believe that's what part of that has to mean, but I also believe it's much deeper than that. I believe it means something else. Jesus was referring not to real estate, not to getting everything here on this earth. That's going to happen down the road, but think of it. When you begin to trust the Lord, like the psalmist said in Psalm 56, 11, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? You see, the world belongs to the person who can control his or her emotions. No matter what's done to you, they don't control you as long as you are in control of your person. Yeah, they may put you in jail. They may misuse you. They may do things that aren't right. But here's the deal. You trust God for all of that. Nobody owns you. 
Am I making sense to you? Y'all are, wait a minute now, you lost me. You see, you say, well, that person made me do this. That person didn't make you do anything. You may blame it on them. You ever been insulted? You ever been hurt? Yeah, all of us have been. How did you respond? Or did you react? I want to give you another example, true story. George Washington Carver, African-American, back in the 30s and 40s. I'm pretty sure it's back about that time. We are indebted to him because even here in this agricultural area, he was one of the scientists that learned about crop rotation and putting nutrients back in the ground by using different crops. He, we, we were, I, was, I remember being taught that he was the inventor of peanut butter. He was my hero for a while. But he didn't really invent peanut butter. He just improved it. Because it, it was a long uh, around before he came on the scene. But, but anyway, he, was a, he lived in a day when it's still a lot of prejudice. One day while he was standing on the street in Tuskegee, Alabama, a prim and proper white woman walked up to him and she assumed that since he was black, he must be a poor, down-on-his-luck sharecropper or something like that. And not knowing he was world famous for his inventions and scientific experiments, she asked if he would paint the picket fence around her home. He said, sure, I'd be happy to. A few hours later, a friend of the woman walked by and saw George Washington Carver painting her fence. She went inside and said to that woman, do you know who's painting your fence? Well, no, I don't, the other woman said. That's the famous scientist, George Washington Carver, the man who's done so much to help the South with all of his inventions. The woman immediately ran outside, nearly overcome by embarrassment and shame. She said, Dr. Carver, I'm so sorry. I thought you were a poor man looking for an odd job. Please forgive me. And George Washington Carver smiled and said, that's all right. I didn't really have anything to do today. I'm very happy to paint your fence. Now, you see, he could have been a victim, but he responded in Christ-like meekness. He was a believer. You see, he ruled that situation. He wasn't a victim. He ruled it. And when you are under control of the Holy Spirit and the Lord is leading your life and helping you, no matter what happens to you, you still trust the Lord. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. We began to focus on the righteousness of God and we began to realize that as sinful and fallen, broken as we were when we came when we were poor in spirit and the mourning we had over, the, the grieving we did over our sin and God and the Lord comes beside us and comforts us and then he begins to help us focus on his righteousness and the Holy Spirit indwells us and begins to conform us to the image of his son. We become 
more in control. So let's just face it, all of us have failed the meekness test at times. And that's why the Lord's still working on us. We're still growing. We're still submitting to the leadership of the Lord. Lord, help control. Don't use it. Well, I'm sorry, I've just got a bad temper. No, you're just out of control. You see... All of us have a tendency to have a bad temper. But as we mature in the Lord, Holy Spirit begins to control that. That's meekness. When you can whip somebody and you don't, that's meekness. And don't tell me you hadn't thought about it. (laughs) When you want to give somebody a chewing out and you don't. That's meekness. When you want to get even with somebody and you don't, some forgiveness has to come into play there too, but it's still meekness. If you don't know the Lord Jesus, you'll never be the kind of meekness that this scripture talks about because it's impossible for you to do this with a sinful nature. You just can't. The Holy Spirit has to change you. And so when you come and poor in spirit and you're bankrupt and you ask God to forgive you and you place your faith and trust in Jesus, he comes alongside you, enters you, lives in you. The Spirit of God lives in you and he begins to give you the fruit, love, joy, peace, gentleness, long-suffering. Meekness is one of those things. Can you think, for those of you who've been Christians a long time, can you think how mean and awful you would be now if you didn't know the Lord? I mean, I know you now. (laughs) And you know me now. But think of where we would be if we didn't know Jesus. I'm fully convinced I'd be in jail because I would have killed somebody. If you don't know Christ, that's the beginning place. Not joining a church, knowing Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, you can give him your life right now. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you, Pastor David. In this week's message, we heard the explanation of meekness, which is power under control. And we examined how that meekness affects our interactions with others as we display gentleness, understanding, and patience. Naturally, we found the exemplification of meekness in the person of Jesus Christ. But finally, we saw the effects of meekness for believers both then and now. Yes, there is a future kingdom to inherit, but we also learned that the world belongs to those who can control their emotions. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. Be sure to catch our next installment of the Southcrest Live podcast. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.